basically what I, what I was drawn to today was to look through uh, Acts 4 again and really kind of pull apart and dissect some of the stuff that we see going on there and see how does it all relate to us today, who we are and what we're called to, right? So we're going to just go through this. And, and, you know, I want everyone, please feel free. Jump in. Give, give me your sense of this. Give me what you see, what the Lord shows you. Um, <clears throat> so we start out with Acts 4.23. Uh, when they, that's Peter and John, they've been released, right? Remember we, the background story to this is they had healed the guy, crossed the ruckus, and ended up getting thrown in jail by the religious leaders. So when they were released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And I, I know I mentioned this last week, but I really felt like we needed to just you know, pause again here to understand that they didn't go just anywhere. They went to their own companions, their own tribe of people that have that like mind and like spirit. Okay, And so the question really, really becomes, what's the purpose? Why did they do that? What was the purpose of them going to their tribe to report on what had happened to them. Kind of obvious, but it, it, it needs to be asked. They didn't have uh, YouTube, so they had to just tell them. <laughs> Absolutely. No cell phones. No Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. You know, they, they went because they wanted to do something in response to this attempt by the religious leadership to shut them down. The religious leadership was trying to shut down this Christian movement, right? Just by executive fiat, you're no longer allowed to talk in this, you know, in this man's name. And so they went back to their own and said, "Look, here's we got a little bit of a problem here because these guys are are coming against us. They're telling, they're forbidding us from using the name of Jesus." Okay. And so the first thing that we notice about a gathering of the ecclesia is that there's always going to be a purpose. There's always going to be a purpose for our gathering together. And so... He's not happy? So, um, so yeah, this idea that, that, you know, when we gather, there's a purpose, I think that is so critical, um, at least for where God's trying to take us. You know, there, there are obviously many reasons why the body of Christ gets together. Can you all think of any? Typically, what, what are the reasons why people come together as the body of Christ? Enjoy the glory. Enjoy the glory. Well, yes, I would say in a small percentage of those gatherings, <laughs> absolutely. Fellowship. Yeah, fellowship, right? They were told they had to or they're going to go to hell. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> do not pass go, do not collect $200. It goes straight to hell. You some personal experience. It's happened for a lot of years. Yeah. Sure. Uh, revelation of the word, like people yeah, hearing a sermon, word. right? Stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Rosa, are you raising your pen or are you raising? Oh your no! Pen? <laughs> <laughs> no, our joke at home is because it's cake. 
So we know that there are many reasons why you know Christians gather, and I, I'm not in any way trying to pass judgment on any of that. I just know that we that there is a, a purpose that goes a little bit beyond all of that, which is what we're looking at here, right? The ecclesia, the legislative authority that we've been given, and so. Um, you know, even coming together for worship, as noble as that sounds, that's an awesome thing. But the question, here's the question: Is worship in itself enough? But there's a lot of folks that worship worship. Have you noticed that? I believe worship is a big part of it, but it's not right. everything. Exactly. Yeah, it's funny how we do that, right? You know, people worship the Word of God. It becomes an idol to them. So, you know, they'd rather, they'd rather argue about fine points of doctrine than, than really, you know, enter into a relationship with the Lord where he's speaking to them through the Word, you know. So there's all these different things. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to be judgmental about any of it, but just the idea that there's this purpose that we see here in this gathering. And so what does that say to us about when we're coming together in the Lord, what is the purpose for us? You know, not that we're trying to say everybody has to have the same purpose, but what's our purpose, and can we see that and start to fulfill that in a, in a more intentional way? So, um, and again, please stop me if you have questions or comments. Um, so verse 24 says, when they had heard this, again, when the tribe heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And so I was just struck with that, that their first response to this problem was to exalt the Lord, was to lift him up in their midst, to lift him up in their midst, right, declaring who he is, who, you know, his lordship, his supremacy, and doing that... Because that's where all authority derives from, right? That's where our, our authority comes out of our relationship with this supreme God, this Father, this Lord, this King over all, right? That's the foundation for our authority as a gathering of the body of Christ, as a gathering of the ecclesia. It's like we're here as an extension of the one who rules everything. Amen. He wants to rule through us. What a concept. I mean, it's like, what? Yeah. That's a big reason for us as the body of Christ is that the Lord wants to extend his rule here and now, here on the earth, through us. That's pretty powerful, right? Yeah. So Jesus, you know, I, I, I thought of Matthew 18 and 19, or rather 18, 19, and 20, where Jesus <coughs> makes it clear that the ecclesia is not, doesn't have to be defined as we typically think of it as some, you know, official gathering. He says, if two of you agree on, two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there, in their midst. Right? So Jesus promises, I'm going to show up anytime two or three of you get together for this purpose or some purpose that's kingdom related. Right? And I love that. His commitment to 
you know, ruling through us, working through us, is that, I don't know, that powerful, that consistent, that, you know, that it just, a couple of us getting together to talk about the things of God and say, Lord, you know, what do you want to do? How are we involved in extending your rule and your reign into these situations where things are not going right? You know, I just, this is amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So then we move on to verses 25 and 26. Um, who by the Holy Spirit, the of God, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. I thought this was really cool because to me it spoke of how... This kind of a gathering, as I wrote there, that their meeting and their discussion were guided by scripture and prophetic revelation. Because that that comes from the psalm. You know, I, I didn't look up to see which psalm it is, but it's a psalm, right? And it's, so it was their recorded scripture. Don't forget, these guys didn't have the New Testament written out like we do. So all they had was what we know as the Old Testament. But they were using that scripture as part of their meeting. And that the scripture that they used happened to be a prophetic scripture. It was a prophecy about Christ. So I see there the combination of using the word of God and prophetic revelation when we gather together. Now we know that, that we love that, right? We, we love hearing from Papa about the things that matter to him that we can come into agreement with, you know, in our time together. So I think that's an important point that we see here, right? Verse 27 and 28, for truly in this city, now they get into, the, into the, the current time, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever yeah. your hand and your purpose predestined to yeah. occur. And so this, I mean, this is where it really kind of breaks down into... Some of the things that we're able to to operate in when it comes to this kind of an ecclesia deal. So they declare that all opposition to the will of God is powerless to stop it from being accomplished. Whatever you know, whatever the enemy's up to, whatever people are doing in response to the enemy, it cannot ultimately stop God's will because He's going to work through whoever. You know, if we drop the ball, yeah. he'll just do it through somebody else because he wants his will to be done, right? I mean, it's pretty simple. So very powerful to to realize that, you know, God's not going to be thwarted by people and their, and their weaknesses and their failures, right? So then he goes on and he lists, you know, they list all these different arenas. And so as I'm reading this, I'm realizing how they speak to the various areas of society, right? Herod was the king. He was a Jewish king at that time. And he represents the political spirit, right? You understand the political spirit is when the church tries to accomplish the goals of the kingdom through politics. Okay? Yeah. Through, through governmental legislation. And unfortunately, the church in America has been tempted by that. You know, we want the government to issue rules and regulations and laws that, that, that you know, uh, ban or outlaw stuff, you know, that we know are wrong, but 
it's no different when that happens than when the Old Testament law was given. What did Paul say happened to him when he learned about the law? Remember in Romans 7? Paul said that when the law came in, it stirred up all kinds of lustful thoughts and ideas. Why? Because God said, don't do this, 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 and this. And our rebellious human nature says, well, you're tough. You're going to do that now because you said I can't. Right? And so human nature, as such as it is, you cannot legislate morality. You know what I mean? Even the founders of our country made it clear that this form of democracy, this republic, that as it was established in the Constitution, could only function amongst a people whose hearts were ruled by the Lord. That's the amazing thing about it. They recognized that there was so much freedom built into this form of government that if the people weren't under the Lordship of Christ, it would go south quick, and it has. It really has. Go ahead. That was Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Okay. Thank you. The Messiah is for kingdom. Why do the nations rage and the people plot the main thing? The king of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saints. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Let us break their bonds and pieces and cast away their cords from us. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a message from heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie's saying he's going to say. So, um, so yeah, that's what that's what Herod represents. This attempt to to accomplish things in society through legislation that has religious backing to it. So, oh yes, we're going to outlaw all these things. Now, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be laws. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying that if that's all you're depending on, then you're, you've been seduced by the political spirit, right? Because transformation happens how? In your mind. From the inside out, exactly. That's, that's the way it works. So that's so Herod being, you know, the head of the ecclesiastical government and the control that that's, you know, that that speaks of, he really does represent the religion mountain. Not the born again, spirit filled part, but the, that mountain. Think, you know, think Catholic Church, think Eastern Orthodox, all these big, you know, organizations that try to control stuff through, you know, their their edicts of some kind, and trying to combine with with um, civil government to make that happen, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, yeah, Jesus warned us in, in Mark eight fifteen. He says, "Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod." And that's what he was talking about. Don't allow that temptation to partner with the political spirit, the, you know, the way of politics, in order to accomplish the goals of the kingdom. Don't let that happen, right? Um, and it's it's unfortunate that again, there's a there's a huge segment of the American church that that is looking to the federal government to do their job, you know. So we've got to be aware of that. Right? I mean, we're happy that, that, you know, well, anyway, I don't want to get any further into that, so let's move forward. Um, right, so Pilate, uh, conversely, he does represent the civil government and its control over society, right? Because what did he represent? He represented Caesar, represented the Roman Empire. Um, so he would represent 
that kind of authority that basically, uh, whether it's it's a city government, state, national, whatever, you know, that's controlling or trying to control, trying to pass laws about what can and what can't be done. Thankfully, you know, we still live in a country that we've got freedom of religion, that we can do stuff. You know, they didn't have that back then. But this is, again, this is another uh, arena in which uh, things can go badly, you know, go very wrong. And so, uh, when Jesus was actually talking to Pilate there in John 19, he told him, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivers me to you has the greater sin. He's telling Pilate, you know what? You're here, you're doing your job. You know, I don't blame you for any of this. You know, you're doing your job, and and you're not the one to blame. It's the people that delivered me up. They, they bear the brunt of this whole thing, right? But the idea here that Jesus is saying is that you know, Pilate had no authority unless God had, had allowed it. And we know Paul talks about that in Romans 13, that there is no government except that which God has instituted. You know, again, not that all of the evil governments that have ever been were something that God said, yes, this is how I want it. Men can take the concept of government and totally corrupt and pervert it and use it for evil uh, outcomes, and that's what's happening. But this is, again, this is another arena. You're all familiar with the seven mountains, right? That's basically what we're looking at here. We're looking at the seven mountains of society being mm-hmm. illustrated in this particular passage, which kind of blew my mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's pretty cool, right? Then it, it lists the Gentiles, and that's just the kind of a generic term that they used to describe anybody that was not in relationship with God. The Jews used it to talk about non-Jewish people or people that weren't part of the Jewish faith, you know, who were converted to the Jewish faith. And we understand it from our perspective as people that have not yet entered into a relationship with Christ. You know, that's the Gentiles. Um, So they have no ability to understand spiritual things. You know, you try to tell somebody that doesn't know the Lord about kingdom-related stuff, you have no idea how many people are out there writing stuff on the Internet thinking that we Christians are trying to take over. (laughs) Because they read the stuff about the kingdom and and the idea that we have dominion in the earth. And they interpret it as if we're trying to get in there, take over all these things and places and governments so that we can impose our religion on everybody. (laughs) They really believe that. Why? Because they don't understand the spiritual aspect of the kingdom of God, that it's like leaven. It gets in there and influences and changes the lump. You know, so they don't get that. Right? So we have that problem. And because they're not in relationship with the Lord, uh, they're really able to be influenced and controlled by the devil. Right? That's what, you know, it says, well, a couple of scriptures there for you. And this is, this is the arena, I believe, of science, business, technology, and media are, are especially uh, areas that we see uh, where, where we're fighting sometimes these things. You know, we fight against the, the edicts that come forth out of people who believe that, you know, the world is, the, the, the pollution is so bad that we're going to all die soon. And it's like, no, it's not. You know, because they worship the earth. There's all kinds of things in there, right? We know about the media, how the media basically, you know, is, is uh, 
pushing their own agenda <clears throat> left and right. So anyway, so some of the scriptures that came to mind about this was First uh, Corinthians two fourteen about the natural man not accepting the things of the Spirit of God. Their foolishness to him cannot understand them because they're spiritually praised. And then Ephesians 2, talking about before we were saved, that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. How about that, right? It's a pretty interesting concept that, that the enemy's spirit, his, his values, what matter to him is what's influencing and controlling people that don't know God. And unfortunately, some of our brothers and sisters as well, but we won't go back. All right. Uh, the next category in that list is the peoples of Israel. And as I looked at that, I really felt like it was referring to those who are under the influence of the religious spirit, the religious culture, because of the fact that the leaders of that group, right, the nation of Israel, the peoples of Israel, the Pharisees, Sadducees, priests, scribes, etc., they were the ones that were pushing and, and you know teaching all this kind of religious stuff that basically when when they when Jesus was about to be crucified, they were able to whip up the crowds by telling them that oh you know he's blaspheming and all this sort of thing. Basically they deceived the people. And Jesus was very, very blunt concerning that aspect of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, etc. In Matthew 16, you can see it there, it says, How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? This is after he said, Beware of the leaven. Right? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say, Beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And in, in, in chapter 23, he says directly to them, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter it in or enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. What a, what an indictment. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a question? Do they know or understand the concept of the kingdom of the Pharisees and all that they shut they, down? Or... They were so... Um, they were, they were so zealous to maintain their positions of power in that culture, in that nation, because they were at the top of the food chain. Jesus talked about them many times. They loved to walk around, you know, praying long prayers and getting all the honor in the marketplaces and the best seats at the banquets and blah, blah, blah. He said they have the reward. That's all they're going to get is that, right? And so because they were... They just wanted to maintain their position, their, you know, power, their control. Even if, even if they suspected that this might be God, they couldn't agree with it because it, was, it would jeopardize all of that. Okay, yeah. Exactly. You know, think about it. Who was the only guy out of that whole bunch that was willing to acknowledge the possibility that Nicodemus. Jesus Nicodemus? And even he had to come at nighttime because he let me sneak in here so they don't see me, you know. So yeah, it just it was a crazy thing, and so I feel like that this is talking about the arenas of family, of education, and personal destiny, because most of the problems that we have individually concerning our destiny, the future that God has in mind for us, you know what the problem is. 
how we think about ourselves based on what we've experienced and what we've been taught and told throughout our life. The limits that we see about ourselves have basically been taught to us through our lifetime. And, and that's the, the, one of the major issues that I think we're, you know, we're really fighting back here because we, we see that we're all capable of so much more. We see the potential that there is in Christ in us, the hope of glory, you know, and that we can actually do this, do these great, amazing things. If he said, greater works than these will you do, right? We, we really believe that. We're not just, that's just not like a, a nice catchphrase, <laughs> you know. So, uh, so yeah, so that, that, those arenas of family education, we know the education system has become completely corrupted. The education system, for the most part, except for places like where Bequia works, absolutely. No, I was going to say, you know, it depends on where you live and what your zip code is. No, my zip code is a pipeline to prison. Well, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the culture that's been been, been created in the education mountain. Um, yeah, except for where Bequia works. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Where where kids are not being taught what they really need to know. They're basically being coddled. You know, you go to college now, and these students are not being graded by what their actual grade is. Grade inflation is the order of the day. That if you had, if you got a 69 test, well, we'll make it an 80. That's Westfield too. That's Montclair and Bloomfield. Right. That's Blue District too. It's nuts. You know, and so this is the kind of thing that's going on. And so, the, and plus, of course, the philosophy behind the education system is so jacked up. You know, kids in daycare, in, in the pre-K uh, arena, you're not allowed to tell them no. I don't know if you're aware of that. But the curriculums that they've come up with for pre-K, these are three and four-year-olds. They're not allowed to tell them no. If a child doesn't want to do a particular activity, they have to provide him with something else to do. They can't force him to do that. So we have a generation of kids that have grown up with no boundaries. Wow. That's sad. And they just appease them. They like appease just them. Just keep them quiet. Just exactly. Keep them quiet. And then by the time they get to grade school, they're getting classified emotionally disturbed because nobody wanted to No one has ever put boundaries on them. So when you try to put boundaries on them, they just act out and go nuts. We have a generation of college students that cannot deal with dissension, opposing arguments. Mm -hmm. If you say something that they disagree with, they practically faint. Well, not so much. I'm talking about in college, you can't even have debate now about certain issues because these kids become mortally offended. And they've actually established in some of these campuses. I couldn't believe this when I read this. Crying room. Crying room. Crying room. Crying room. Got a pony too. Huh? We've got a pony. A pony. Yes. What kind of coloring books? It's nuts. I mean, thankfully, I was just reading an article today that that there are states now that are passing legislation saying that public colleges cannot forbid free speech. What they were doing was they were limiting free speech to an area maybe the size of 10 by 10. You had to stand in that spot and speak your mind. You couldn't do it anywhere else on the campus. Can you believe that? That's crazy. It's that's crazy. crazy. It's like against the Constitution. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. All, 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 all while claiming oh that the other God. side are fascist, but that's being yeah. found. <laughs> so, but this is what we're dealing with. 
when when this kind of thing, when when the political correctness movement becomes a religion, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing these people are no different than now? Pharisees. Well, oh, snowflakes? Yeah. yeah. I do I do have to let you know that when Daniela came here from Slovakia, remember, she grew up under the height of communism. Yes. Right, under the height of the Cold War. She said political correctness in the United States is worse than communism. Wow. wow. It is. That's yeah. sad. But it's a mindset more than anything because I remember being at Howard University in the car with people from Alabama. Uh-huh. And I remember getting my parking spot, and he was like, you just took that parking spot from a white man. You should have let that white man get that parking spot. What? And I was like, he must be crazy. Did you see my boy girl on first? <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, this was at so I mean, I, I was, at, I was yeah. at Howard University in Washington, D.C. Oh, he was in my car oh. going to Walmart. We were going to Walmart together. It was yeah. like a list. It was like... Uh-huh. If you okay. were going to Walmart, you put your name on the board and people would carpool with you oh, because okay. everybody, a, a lot of people don't have cars. So sure. we just worked together as a family and I just remember him saying that to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, did you see my leg on first? That was my spot. <laughs> he was like, I don't want to get out of the car. He was like, I don't want to go because they might flatten your tires and they might, oh, I said, I can wow. guarantee you, that's they're nice. not going to touch my car. Wow. That's and nice. I was like, let's go. We're going yeah. in. And then, and then mindset was just like, yeah. I'm not getting out. I'm not getting out. I'm yeah. going to stay yeah. in the car. I was like, boy, you need toilet paper. You better get out. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a major necessity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Can't you just get it? I'm like, no, you're going to get your stuff. I'm going to get my stuff. There you go. You're right. And when he came back out, I just remember riding back to campus and he was like, you know, y'all do stuff up north that we would never do that. That's crazy. Well, hey, you, you got to be Rosa Parks right there, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, went back to Walmart with me again. Oh, <laughs> So that's the problem that we're dealing with here in this particular arena. Acts 429, now we move into what their, their response to all of this. So, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bond servants may speak your word with all confidence. And so I thought it was interesting that that word for threats is only used in three other places in the entire New Testament. Um, one of them is in Acts 4, the chapter that we're in, where the, the leaders tell them, you know, we're going to warn them not to speak any longer uh, in the name of Jesus. But Acts 9-1, Saul, right, before he became Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, right? So this is not just some kind of an idle thing here. This is a, this word's serious. These threats are not meant to be taken lightly. And Ephesians 6-9 is another example where Paul is, is uh, admonishing masters to stop threatening their servants. Um, so the idea there is that, you know what? You, you either do what I say or there's going to be some serious beatdown. You know, serious punishment for continuing to do what I don't want you to do. That's the whole idea here. So, you know, they're talking to the Lord at this point now in the meeting. And it's interesting, they, they say, grant that your bond servants may speak your word with all confidence. And I looked that up, and the way it's constructed in the Greek, it's so cool because they're actually asking the Lord to give them by way of command, like a royal, give us a royal decree that authorizes us to do something, to do this. And I love that. 
You know, it's like, yeah, God, give us that clear direction about what you want us to do. And they knew what, what he wanted them to do. They were just saying, we just need, we need that, that royal decree of permission to go forth and do this. And what was it? To speak the word with all confidence. And just so you know, the word may in, the, in that verse, it's not in the Greek. It's not in the Greek. It really should read that, that your bond servants speak your word with all confidence. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's not that they may speak. There's no may about it. It's like, let's speak. Let's get this thing on, right? So so that that's that. And it talks about speaking with confidence. Look at the definitions here of this particular word. Freedom to speak clearly, holding nothing back. Free and fearless confidence. I love that, man. That's so cool, right? Cheerful courage. Cheerful courage. <laughs> but it's true. Right? You know what subject this is talking about? You can be cheerful. Exactly. It's like you're so courageous and you're happy about it. <laughs> right? Uh, boldness and assurance. I mean, it's great. That's what they're they're asking the Lord to do. Right? So this is their prayer. They're asking the Lord for this. Lord, we're asking you for this uh, boldness to be able to speak your word with all confidence, right? Then the next part, verse 30, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I read that, I said, Nick, that's a, that's a declaration. Mm-hmm. You're not asking him. It's like, we know this is who you are, right? And so we're simply declaring because, you know, it says there, while you extend, that's, it's not really what it says, but it's all right. You know, it's not while. It's it's almost like in this, you extend your hand. You extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name. You know, so I feel like it just really hit me. This is a declaration. Right? If you believe it, like you ever seen the rain started praying like God, you know you come to see. Yeah. Shelf this rain. Am I the only one that does that? Yeah. Um, absolutely. The rain shuts up. Um, okay. Did you see it? It was like, yeah. no rain, no highway here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that was your fault. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. My clothes are out. I don't like the rain. Lord, be quiet on the toes. Get wet. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> I do it all the time, though. I'm just like, look. Yeah. We don't need this rain right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get a cloudy and gloomy, but just give it a rain. Oh, okay. This meteorologist? I was. I was looking at it and just like, Father, you said it's going to be time to shut the clouds. So we're going to ask that you shut the clouds in Jesus' name, and they shut right now. There you go. <laughs> cool. So we see they, have, they, they prayed, they declared, and what was the result? It says, when they prayed, the place you know, that they gathered together, uh, together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak the word of God with all this word. It, it happened. It's like it came to pass. So, so this, I mean, I, I'm encouraged because I feel like the Lord, you know, is giving us insight into what it can look like as we gather, as we come into his presence, as we worship, as we lift up our voices. You know, we were, I was talking with Marie uh, about this, right? We were talking about how that, that speaking in tongues, when we all 
speaking tongues together, yeah. right? It's like there's a unity yeah, yeah. in that oh, that you can't. In the cacophony. In the cacophony. Oh, Ooh, you know that thing. Oh, cool. I remember from Danielle last night. The cacophony. Yeah. So so I, I feel like that with this, you know, this insight, this understanding as to what it can look like, see, we now can be much more intentional in terms of our gathering. Because whether it's something that each, you know, that one of us or more of us here is facing in the way of challenges, difficulties, opposition, or whatever that we can deal with, or whether it's some other thing that is happening, you know, that we can begin to say, okay, Lord, what do you want us to do? You know, what's what's your word to us? Because obviously this was something that happened on a bigger scale, and I don't know if he's going to do that for us right away, whether he's going to give us an assignment to make a declaration about a, you know, a societal problem or a governmental problem or something. I don't know. I just know that that's possible. Something